Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's lovely to see so many faces here uh, this wonderful Christmas morning uh, as we remember the birth of Jesus, uh, the Saviour of the world. Before I begin, though, before we unpack what we've just read, how about I pray, uh, ask for God's help, especially because this is not your usual Christmas passage. So strap yourselves in, let's pray, and let's dig in. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray this morning that through John 6, whether we're hearing it now for the first time or whether we've heard it many times before, please refresh in us anew what you have to say to us, challenge us to consider what it means to believe in your son, Jesus. And this we pray, Lord, with the help of your Holy Spirit, through Jesus. Amen. That's a picture of uh, bread under a Christmas tree wrapped up. Would you believe I searched Google for far too much of my paid time to find this image. Couldn't actually find it, so I used an AI image generator to come up with that. You just typed in bread as a present under a tree, bang, some kind of magical computer stuff happens and there you go. That's got nothing to do with John 6. I just thought I'd share that with you. Well, the passage uh, Zach read for us this morning, uh, you probably noticed there's no manger in it. Uh, There's no baby. There's no shepherds, no wise men. There's no glorious star that these wise men are following. Uh, In fact, they're not even in Bethlehem, for crying out loud. And so what are we doing here in John 6 on Christmas Day? Why are we looking at a passage that is so seemingly un-Christmassy this morning? Well, the simple answer is, uh, there are two answers really. First, uh, if you're the type of person who only comes around this time of year, uh, firstly, welcome to you, a super warm welcome. It's really wonderful to have you here with us. But if you visit only on these occasions, then Christmas stuff is the stuff that you would hear time and time again. You've probably heard these stories over and over. You've probably seen specials on TV and had the children's books read to you once upon a time. So the first reason we're looking at this is because it is a bit different. It's to give you a chance to hear something that you might not normally hear at Christmas. But the second reason we're looking at something so uh, un-Christmassy is because, contrary to what it might first appear, the passage is profoundly Christmas-centred at its core. It really drags in a lot of the central themes of Christmas that we hold dear as Christians. You see, John 6, it tells us about God, a God who is in heaven, who sends his son into the world to save it. So that's the first thing. If I pull up a couple of verses here from the passage we've had read, we see how many times we get this idea of the son or Jesus being sent into the world. Verse 38, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven. So he's once there, he's now come down. Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Verse 29, Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he, that is God, has sent. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. In verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. There is a huge emphasis in this chapter on the fact that Jesus was sent from heaven, sent from heaven down to earth, and this is what we actually celebrate at Christmas every year, in fact, for the last few thousand years. So here in John 6, uh, we're here because it's something that both shakes up the Christmas tradition, but also, kind of ironically, it doesn't. Uh, John 6, it really puts into sharp focus the reason Jesus was sent into the world, and that reason is that he might save us through trust in him, or as John puts it, through belief in him. 
through trusting our very lives with him, through feeding on him spiritually. This is where we get all the, the bread of life stuff. The idea of food coming in here is the idea that he nourishes us spiritually. Now, I could be stretching the analogy just a little bit here, uh, but I think all this talk of food and bread in John 6, it's another kind of Christmassy theme. Uh, you see, one of the largest hallmarks of the Christmas holiday, or Christmas Day in particular, which I think you'll all experience very soon, uh, is the testing of the limits of the human body. Because many of us, we're going to see how much food and drink we can shovel in our face hole over a 12-hour period. So you're pushing beyond all natural human boundaries. We may or may not feel good for the end of the day, but that's kind of not the point in some respects. But I'm sure you'll all agree that the Christmas day and food, well, they do go hand in hand. So in today's passage, uh, we see these themes kind of coming together. But in particular, this talk of food, uh, the author John, or Jesus himself, speaks about my favorite kind of food, that is bread. He talks about a bread which was sent from heaven, which in verse 33 says, gives life to the world. Now, we all know in a literal sense, our bread does give life to the body. Uh, It nourishes you. It gives you things that you need, the carbohydrates and everything to energize you, to keep you going. And we also know that food and life, they kind of go hand in hand because if you don't eat, well, then you die. And God's people... They actually knew this firsthand at ground zero because in this first passage we had read for us, Exodus 16, never probably thought you'd hear Exodus 16 on Christmas Day, there are these people called the Israelites who had just been freed from slavery in Egypt. They're God's people and they were in the wilderness. They'd just escaped miraculously through all these signs and wonders and now they're stuck in the desert with nothing to eat. All they had around them was was sand and rocks and things, and I've never tried it, but I can't imagine it'd be too good for you to be eating that stuff. So what God does then in Exodus 16 is he feeds his people. But he does this miraculously with bread that comes down from heaven. It's an amazing miracle, and it happened day after day, feeding God's people for 40 years in the middle of nowhere. But in John 6, Jesus, he takes this miracle of Exodus, the people actually raise this issue with him directly, and he uses it to remind the people that physical bread alone will only nourish you for so long. And I think we all know this. No matter how much we feed ourselves today, tomorrow we'll be hungry again. In Exodus as well, the other thing is that the manna itself, it only lasted so long. So we all know that bread goes off. Well, in Exodus, this manna, if you kept it for more than a day, if you kept it overnight, it would be rotten by the morning. So the whole idea is that you had to keep going back and feeding on it day after day. And so with this in mind, uh, Jesus, he says these words in John 6. He says, look, don't work for the food that spoils, like the manna in the desert, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, it's just another name for Jesus, which the Son of Man will give you. And when we realize that, that Jesus doesn't just give this bread, but that he is the bread himself, he is the food that endures to eternal life, this bread that was sent from heaven, well, it leaves us with a bit of a challenge in our hands. You see, unlike the uh, traditional Christmas passages, this one doesn't leave you with just a, a feeling of a, a nice cutesy baby in a manger. This passage in John 6 actually challenges you to see the spiritual starvation that is going on in your life. 
to realize that you are spiritually malnourished if you do not feed on Jesus in your life. This chapter, it's an open invitation, whether or not you actually believe it, to trust in the saving work of Jesus. The whole trajectory points to belief in him. Jesus, in, throughout the course of this passage, he gets rid of any idea that you can be a fence-sitter, uh, that you can kind of just be meandering along and sort of searching. He says, no, you're either with me 100% or you're not. But what I want to do is we work through the passage and see how he got to this point and what this means for us. So Zach, uh, he'd mentioned in the reading that this comes after a very, very famous part of the Bible. Uh, you may have seen this in your kids' Bibles as well, the feeding of the 5,000. It was 5,000, or at least the Bible says. I know you weren't there. I wasn't there either. But Yeah, I'll, I'll take Jesus' word for it. So we have a whole bunch of people, and they witness a miracle. Right? A boy comes up to them with, with five barley loaves, two fish. Jesus gives thanks. He breaks it. And he turns it into the biggest banquet that you've ever seen. Everybody that day also got to test the limits of their own bodies and stomachs. You see, the people, they eat and they eat and they eat. And despite their best efforts, the cleanup crew in this story, a.k.a. the, the disciples, they run around with their large polyethylene bin liners and they collect 12 baskets brimming with leftovers. In our passage, it begins with a lot of people from this same crowd now searching for Jesus. They're seeking him out. They're trying to find him. They know he's gone, but they don't know where he's chuffed off to, so they're, they're wanting to kind of catch up with him. And although these men and women are searching for Jesus, uh, when they finally find him in Capernaum, which is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, for some reason, goes scorched earth on them. He unleashes on them and calls out their hypocritical motivations in their search for him. If you take a look, starting at verse 24, Jesus says, or sorry, the, the scriptures say, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Fantastic, right? They want to find this guy. And I think, wow, I kind of go, hallelujah to that, to some extent. Because you see, when, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, and this is the important part, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. To put it plainly, he's saying, you don't care about what the miracle says about me. You don't care what this is actually pointing to. You're following me because, for all intents and purposes, I've become a walking bakery to you. you know, what, what do you guys want this time? Do you want a cheese and bacon roll? You know, a fresh croissant? Like... What are you guys here for? Now, it might seem like it comes out of left field. I mean, they've just put in all this effort to cross the sea to find him. It might seem a little inappropriate for Jesus to just unleash on them like this, especially after they've spent all their time and energy searching for them. But Jesus' point is that they're driven by something other than a love for who he is. He digs deep and he reveals their true motivation. Now, for many of us, uh, even Christians here today, I think many of us, we approach Jesus in this kind of transactional way as well, uh, whether we like to think so or not. Uh, we love Jesus because of the things he can do for us. You know, he might not turn your two lonely, kind of dry crust pieces in the bottom of your bag into like a nice, fresh loaf for you the next day. But I think we subtly approach Jesus uh, in this kind of way, for example. 
where he helps us through sickness. He comforts us when we're lonely. For some of you, he powerfully answered your prayers to free up that parking space in Indrapilly last week. And now while all these things are actually nice and they're actually good, Jesus should comfort us in our loneliness. He should be with us in our sickness and even heal us. They're good things, but they're not why, at its core, Jesus was sent into the world. The question then is, is why was he sent? What is the ultimate reason God sent Jesus into the world? And Jesus, he answers this himself. So verses 38, um, and I'll skip over 39 here, but verses 38 and 40, we read this. For I've come down from heaven, again, he's come out, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Verse 40, for my father's will, and here it is, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. He's saying, yes, I can give and do many good things for you, but it's time to look at the miracles and the comforts that I provide and start seeing what they're supposed to tell you about me. We're supposed to look past the sign to the person himself. You see, Jesus, he is the Son of God. The Father sent him into the world. He's the spiritual bread of life. And this is the story of Christmas, that God has come to save us, to feed us. But the problem is, I think for many of you, whether you're a Christian or not, sitting here today, you might struggle to believe this. This might seem a little bit far-fetched. It might seem a bit out there, especially if your life has been a bit uh, tricky at times. Um, If Jesus hasn't answered your prayers and given you the comforts that you think you deserve or whatever it is. In fact, even after the feeding of the 5,000, the 5,000, the people there, they deny the obvious reality that the miracle that Jesus just performed pointed to. You see, by the time we reach verse 30, the people, they respond to Jesus' claim being sent from heaven. They're a bit upset by this. They don't think he should be claiming that because, in essence, he's claiming to be God. And so they go, well, okay, verse 30, what what sign then will you give me that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? They're saying, oh, look, so so you're sent from God, hey, that's a pretty bold claim. Why not prove it? You know, show us a miracle, Jesus. And if you've followed along the story up to this point, we should be going, what? Were they blind when Jesus just turned five loaves into a feast? Have the men in black come and kind of erased their memories? What on earth are you talking about? What, what sign will you give? But this is the entire point. You see, these people, their hearts are so closed off and so stubborn. They're just like me. They're just like you. You see, Jesus, he knows the human heart so well that even a supernatural miracle performed right before their very eyes won't always lead them to a belief in Jesus. And arguably, I would say, even here today. You see, the roof of this building, it could be lifted off right now. Snow could start falling in here in the middle of Brisbane in the middle of summer and you could hear an audible voice directly speaking to you. And yet I guarantee you that there will be some in this room who still won't believe. That's the nature of the human heart. In fact, I suspect that we might even see it and and 
10 years from now, we'll look back on this event and justify it away, thinking, oh, there must have been something funny in my breakfast cereal that Christmas morning. You know, maybe the milk was a little off. I think I was seeing that. I don't know. But this is kind of the point. We, we reject the giver of life. We invent as many ways as we can to say, no, thanks, Jesus. And the point is made extremely clear by the time we reach the end of this chapter, when almost everyone who was there for the miracle ultimately abandons Jesus in verse 66. It's beyond your outlines, but if you have a Bible, feel free to flip to it. These people uh, who once probably thought they batted for Jesus, that they were on his team, you know, they were were really on board with everything he was doing, are the ones which find the reality of allegiance to him a pill just a little bit too hard to swallow. And so here's the challenge for us all this morning. I don't know where you guys are at. I don't know if you're thinking, well, all this Jesus stuff, it's all good and well. You know, Jesus teaching, feed the hungry, you know, do good to the poor. Um, yeah, do unto others as that have do to you. Yeah, that's all good. In fact, that's, that's nice, kind of what we, we want a society built on, right? But to believe that he is the only way to heaven? No, I'm sorry. That, that's just a skip and a step too far. To claim is the only ticket to heaven. And there's all these other religions out there, right? It's arrogant. That's intolerant. It's so out of touch with Brisbane, Australia, that I know in 2022. And I'll admit, I think it is kind of hard. This is a very difficult truth to handle. It does seem so intolerant. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's wrong. We need to feed on the bread of life if we are to have eternal life. So if your next meal, if you're a prawn type and you're going to be demolishing a couple of kilos of tiger prawns later today, if your next meal after today, for example, happened around Easter, that's the next time you come and eat, do you think you'd make it? Let me tell you, no, probably not. In fact, after a couple of weeks, you'd starve to death. Simple as that. In fact, let's let's narrow it down. If your next meal was a week away, how would you fare? Do you think you'd make that, even? See, as we think this stuff through, uh, let me put just one more spin on this to help pull everything together. You see, Jesus, he, he doesn't just provide eternal life through belief in him. He's not just saying, I'm the bread of life that leads to eternal life. He's also saying that you can be assured of this. There is a great assurance in this passage. Let me show you, verse 37. Jesus says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You have an absolute guarantee that he will accept you. You have assurance that you are right with God. It doesn't matter what you've done. In history past, you can be the worst of the worst. You can be a serial killer in a past life. And there is still enough forgiveness in Jesus if you turn to him. And the reason for this is because when you trust in Jesus, judgment day that is to come for you has already happened in Jesus. You can have an assurance to know with absolute certainty that he is pleased with you. And you might think, well, how? You might, you might think, well, you don't need that. Or you might think, wow, I'm just too rotten of a person for this to be real. How is this possible? Well, it's possible because when you place your trust in him, your record of sin and unrighteousness, of ignoring him, of pushing him away, 
that gets thrown onto Jesus. It gets put onto his record and he is treated as the sinner that you are, which is what we, is what we see at the cross. But not only this, his perfect record then of obedience is then credited to you and your account through faith. So then you're now treated not only as if you'd never sinned, but as if you are entirely righteous. You have fulfilled all the requirements of God's law that are far too difficult for any of us to handle in any second of any day. And so this bread from heaven is fantastic news to a world that is spiritually starving, a world that needs to hear this, a world that is stuck in sin, And all the carols that we sing, all the the messages of Christmas that we have, those traditional ones that we haven't looked at today, they all celebrate this fact. God sending his son to bring us eternal life through faith in him. You see, just as all the food you're going to eat later today gives life to your bodies, this bread from heaven, Jesus himself, it gives eternal life to your body and soul with full assurance. And that is something worth singing about. That is something for us to be joyful about. But the question I have for you all sitting here this morning then is this. What are you going to do about this reality? I think later, as you do eat the cold meats and the prawns and bread rolls and salads and whatever else, maybe even Morton Bay bugs if you're like the, the really fancy type, I want you to consider... Maybe just pausing for a second as you take those bites and consider how much nourishment you can find, not just in this food, but in Jesus himself. This bread that was sent from heaven, which we celebrate at Christmas. How about I finish up? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would awaken us this morning to the spiritual starvation that we have all experienced. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us a fresh desire for you to feed on the bread of life. Not only this, Lord, but I pray that you would grant us eternal life through your Son with full assurance. Lord, we thank you for Christmas Day where we can celebrate the sending of the Son, the Saviour of the world. And I pray, Lord, as we walk out this morning, you would challenge our hearts by your Spirit to consider all these things. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.